Good morning again. <clears throat> um, as I shared last week, my voice struggled last week. It's struggling again this week, so pray for my voice as I'm talking this morning. We are absolutely glad that you are with us today. If this is your first time with us, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as a senior pastor as well as one of the elders here. And I would love to have an opportunity to meet you after the service. I'll be out in the foyer there. And then everybody else here at the church would love a chance to meet you as well. Um, if you have a chance, fill out a connection card so that we can have some information on you to get you some information about our church and what all's happening uh, with us. A couple of things I want to draw your attention to. Both were mentioned on the announcements from Ricky, but I really want to highlight both of these. And that is, first, we need lots more help with the Aggie BSM. BSM stands for Baptist Student Ministry. We need a lot more help with that. Um, we are serving the international students there uh, a Thanksgiving meal. It's not just our church, it's other churches as well, but we have several dishes that are still needed as well as we need some folks to help serve that. That's this Friday evening. You can go to the Hope, you can go to uh, the Church Center app, you can sign up there. If you have any trouble at all signing up, please contact the church office this week so we can kind of get you connected. But we need lots more help uh, with that this Friday night. And then on Sunday next week, if you consider Living Hope your church family, whether you're a member or not a member, if, if this is home for you, then you need to come be a part of the family celebration that's happening next Sunday. It's happening at 5 o'clock. We're having a potluck uh, dinner, so you can bring a main dish and a side or a dessert. I mean, but you can skip the side. Just bring all the desserts. That's really all that I will want. So uh, if you need some ideas, you can stop by and ask me. I'll give you some good ideas. But in all seriousness, we'd love for you to come be a part of that. We're going to be eating a meal together. We're going to be celebrating what God's doing in the life of our church. We're going to be looking at the 24 budget and kind of talking about what God may be doing through that. And then also, we have a lot going on in our church family right now with folks that are uh, recovering, folks that are in the hospital, things that are, folks that are grieving the loss of a loved one. And so we're going to spend some devoted time in prayer as a church family uh, on Sunday night. So be here next Sunday at 5 o'clock for the family celebration. All right. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and pick that up and use that this morning. We'll be looking at the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a seat near you. You can grab that and use that this morning. If you don't own a Bible or you need one at the house, feel free to take that with you. That'll be our gift to you. We are wrapping up uh, a series in the book of Acts. Um, not today. We'll actually finish it next year. Um, today we're going to kind of do what television shows used to do, where you get to the end of the, the calendar year and you kind of give a cliffhanger and you wait for the new season to start in January or whatever. We're kind of doing that. We're going to hit a cliffhanger today and then for seven weeks we're not going to be preaching the book of Acts and we'll finish up the book of Acts in January. Um, the reason we're not going to finish it over the next seven weeks is because I'm looking forward to a new series that we're going to use as we get ready for Easter, for Christmas, there we go, for Christmas, it's called The Coming King, and we're going to see how the people of God look forward to the coming King, the Messiah, Jesus, and how you and I look forward to His coming again. And we're going to kind of quickly walk through Genesis to Revelation and see who Jesus is and that He is the promised King that is bringing salvation and that we anticipate his return. So be here next week as we start that new series. All right, now we're back to the book of Acts, all right? So where we left off last week and where, where um, Howard 
took us so far this morning is we're at the end of about a two-year period where the moment we've been waiting for has finally arrived. Paul has been in prison for over two years and has been asked to go to Rome to plead his case to Caesar. And finally today, he's boarding a ship and he's headed out to Rome. And as we've seen already, this is quite an interesting trip. I, I want us to see where all he goes. I'm not going to walk through all the towns, but you're going to see on the screen the map of where Paul gets in at Caesarea, and they make their way along the coastline. This area would be, uh, would be uh, Turkey right here. This would be Greece. And then over here, this is Sicily, Sicily, if I can speak clearly. And Rome and Italy is just north of there. But you can see the red line of where he's going, and then you see it kind of fades out right here with the dot, dot, dots. And this is the island of Crete. That's kind of where everything is going on. And uh, Howard has already read a portion of it. And what we see with this travel to Rome, what should take only five weeks if the weather is cooperating, if everything's running smoothly, actually turns into well over four months. The journey takes over four months for him to get to Rome. And in this story, we see that two companions go along with Paul. You heard uh, Howard butcher one name, and that name is Aristarchus. And we don't know much about Aristarchus, but we do know this. He was with Paul, a companion of Paul. He was in Ephesus with him when a big riot broke out, and he was drug out to the city and, 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 and was getting in trouble for following Jesus. And Aristarchus is on the boat with Paul. Another person is not mentioned by name, but the reason we know he's there is because the word we is used. If you noticed in the narration, it said we got on the boat here, and we went there, and we experienced winds, and it uses the word we. So we know that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is on this trip as well. So Paul has a couple of companions with him. We see that the centurion, by the name of Julius, is pretty nice to him because he is kind towards him and is gracious towards him and helps him, and actually Paul is rescued because of him, and we see that he allowed him to see some friends of his in Sidon. And again, we see through all of this, God's provision. God providentially takes care of Paul, and we're going to see how it all unfolds. Here's an interesting thing about this voyage. This voyage that Paul took from Caesarea towards Rome is just like the rest of his life. It is full of obstacles. Like, it isn't smooth sailing, no pun intended. It is not smooth sailing. He had difficulties getting there. In fact, you saw that Howard said that they had quite a bit of winds, and so they ended up in a place called Fair Havens. And Paul said, guys, it's good enough. Let's stay here. We can't go any further. And the reason Paul said that is because we know that the winter was a horrible time for them to travel because of the wind and the waves and the issues that they would experience. And according to Luke, we know that what is taking place is in mid-October. You're like, how do we know it's mid-October? The reason we know it's mid-October is because it says the fast is already passed. What fast is it? It's the fast for the Day of Atonement. When is the Day of the Atonement? The end of September, 1st of October. So Paul's saying, guys, it's unwise, it's dangerous, it's ill-advised that we go any further. And I know what you're thinking. Paul is a preacher. What does he know about traveling the seas? Here's what he knows. He knows he's been shipwrecked three times, and he doesn't really want to be shipwrecked a fourth time, spoiler alert. 
he gets shipwrecked again. But if you want to look it up later, I'm not going to turn to that verse right now, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul says, I've been shipwrecked three times, and he wrote that before this experience. So he had seen a bit. But you see, the pilot, the, the, the owner of the ship said, no, we have too much money to make on this trip. We're not staying put. We're going to keep moving forward. But we see that their plans end disastrously. And they end up lost at sea. So I've titled the message this morning, Lost at Sea. On the back of your sermon notes, when, um, back of your worship guide when you came in, there should be a place where you can take notes as we go along this morning. They take extreme measures. All of those fail. And we see in verse 20, let's look at 20 together, we see that they're resigned to not being rescued. Here's what verse 20 says. When either sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned all hope was gone what about you in your life have you ever felt like you are lost at sea have you ever felt like the winds of life and the tempest of life is blowing so hard that you are just getting lost at sea, you're getting seasick, there's no hope for the end, there's no hope for finding land, and you have abandoned all hope? This morning, we can say thank God that Paul's story and the story of those on the ship does not end here, and the good news is neither does your story. So when you came in this morning, you may have came, come in full of life. You might have come in like I did this morning, apparently, looking like death warmed over, because I keep having people go, Alan, are you okay? Like, because you look tired. Like, you need to lay down and take a nap. I, I guess I'm tired and didn't fully realize it. But you might have come in feeling like all hope was gone, because this week, this season of life has just crashed into you. I know that I am the pastor of the church. I'm not the individuals that face the things they did this past week. But I know just looking over the last two to three weeks, it has been chaos for our church family. We suffered the loss of a dear one, Mark Heslip. Then we experienced Briley's fall and the fracture of her skull and her getting on a helicopter. And if that wasn't good enough, three days later, I'm at another hospital watching another church member hop on another, well, he didn't hop on it, but get on another helicopter to go to Temple as well as Michael Carter has had some issues come up with his health. All kinds of things are crashing at us as a church family, and then I know individually each one of us are facing obstacles and difficulties, and I know what some of you may be saying, Alan, you listed three pretty heavy-duty things, and what I'm facing doesn't like match up to that. We're not comparing whose situation is worse, we're just saying all of us perhaps came in here feeling like maybe our hope is either gone or questionable at best. But this morning... Guys, there is hope. There is hope 
We worship in a building as a part of a church family called Living Hope because we know that there is hope and it's living because it's Jesus that is this hope. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is not in the grave. Jesus rose victoriously. He is alive and well and on his throne today and he is large and in charge. And in Paul's story, we are reminded of that over and over and over and over and over and over again so let's read the rest of the chapter verses 21 through 43 how do we move from all hope being abandoned to perhaps hope being rediscovered verse 21 says since they had been without food for a long time paul stood up among them and here's what he said men you should have listened to me and not have set sail from crete and incurred this injury and loss Please hear less of, I told you so, I told you so, and more of, guys, you didn't hear before, so please hear this time. Verse 22, yet now I urge you to take heart or to have courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and here's what he said, do not be afraid Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. You're not going to die, Paul, and neither is anyone else. Verse 25, so take heart, have courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So good news and also some not so good news. When the 14th night, did you hear that? When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. I'm sure you know what a fathom is, right? A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. So it's getting shallower. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, bow, that's the word, Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Let me explain 30 and 31. They have a lifeboat. The sailors go, we're going to act like we're going to put some anchors out, but we're just going to kind of get in the boat and sail away. Paul sees them and says, not so fast, my friend. Verse 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you're not going to be saved, Paul says. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will, be, it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. 
Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let, left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. In other words, they're going, this is our chance, we better hit the beach now so that we don't go even further lost into the sea. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck, the bow stuck, I kept reading the wrong word, and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, the Roman official, saved the day, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. So there's our cliffhanger. We don't know what island we're on, we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know they all get to shore safely. So here's what's going on. Paul sees that the sailors have lost all hope, and Paul does what he does almost every single time. He steps up and he preaches and teaches and points to hope that's found in God. Every time he faces difficulty, he steps up boldly with a word from God, and that changes everything. I want us to focus on verses 23 and 24 this morning. In 23 and 24, he stood up and he shared with them that God had sent an angel to him so that they could have courage in this hopeless situation. Paul said, those of us that are here on this boat will live and we can have courage in the midst of everything going on. And how does he know he has courage? How does he know everything's going to be okay? Because of what God says in 23 and 24. He says in 24, you must stand before Caesar. You see, God had promised Paul in the past that he would be a witness in Rome, and God was not going to renege on his promise at all. So accordingly, God would give him and those with him safe passage to Rome. God's sovereignty and providence show up time and again. So I want us to consider a truth here. As we think about this ship going towards the shipwreck, as we think about the anchors being dropped, we think about everything feeling hopeless in the middle of the storm of life, take courage. It says on your sermon notes, take courage in the midst of life's storms. And the way we do that is by using the proper anchors. If our boat is having issues, we better drop anchors and find the right anchoring location. And that right anchoring location is not ourselves, not our abilities, not our wisdom, but it's God's providential care. And Paul says, because of God's providential care for us, God will provide for us, he will provide for me, and he will provide for you as well. But things don't suddenly become easy because he says God's going to provide, but the way he provides is we're going to run aground on an island. We're going to have a shipwreck. They've been driven by the wind. 14 days of suspense has come along. They're sailing straight towards the rocky coast. Their response was to drop four anchors. In their scenario, it didn't help them. They still headed towards the shore Eventually, they ran onto the shore, hoping to avoid death. 
You and I experience the difficulties that life throws at us. Life throws all kinds of storms at us. Some of them are self-inflicted and others of them are not. But either way, through it all, we can have courage whenever we anchor ourselves to God. So when you find yourself lost at sea, whenever you find yourself ravaged by the winds of life and the seas and, and waves of life, anchor to God. Through it all, we can have courage by anchoring ourselves to God. Look at verse 23. It says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of God. So the first anchor that we see here that Paul found is an anchor of God's presence. An anchor of God's presence. He said, uh, an angel of God stood before me. That's a reminder that God is with me. God is beside me. God is guiding me. He hasn't abandoned me. We don't abandon hope because God has not abandoned us. All throughout Acts, we see that God is present with Paul. We see that God is present when he's on his way to Damascus and, and, and the risen Christ appears to him and brings salvation and says, Paul, I have a plan for you. Jesus appeared to God, uh, uh, Jesus appeared to Paul, therefore he was present with Paul. We see that he has visions from God. He has visions and appearances from the Lord and from angels. He's rescued by God way too many times to count when his life was threatened and he was almost killed. We see over and over again in the book of Acts that God is present with Paul. And on this occasion, as they're getting tossed to and fro, a, an angel of God shows up. The reality is the angel himself didn't comfort Paul. But what comforted Paul was this angel had been sent by God. And therefore, he's not comforted by the messenger. He's comforted by the one who sent the message. Because the very presence of this angel being with him is a reminder that God himself is present with him. He knew that God's presence would continue. How do we know that he knew God's presence would continue? In verse 24, it says, you must appear before Caesar. So Paul knew that whatever may come, God would not abandon him. It was God who had gotten Paul this far. It would be God who would carry him along. Likewise in your life. And in my life, we can have confidence because God is present with us. God is with us. And we can have confidence, amen, we can have confidence because of that. In my Christian studies, our Christian beliefs class that we're going through together on Sunday mornings, we've looked at several doctrines and we've looked at who God is and we've been reminded that God is omnipresent, meaning he is present everywhere. And to say that God is present is true because we know he's present everywhere. If you're a follower of Jesus, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells you, lives inside of you, and so therefore God doesn't leave you. He is constantly present with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This promise is repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we see that whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we are less than courageous, where we think all hope is abandoned, we can hold on to the anchor of the truth that God is present. So I've got a couple of questions to ask you, as you know, at the end of each section. And here are the two questions that will be on the screen. The first one is this. How might knowing that God is present with you bring comfort in the storm? You and I will face 
storms of life, and perhaps you're in a storm right now, the question is, how does the fact that God is present with us change our perspective? How does that bring us comfort? And then along those same lines, how can we be made aware of God's presence? Typically, it's not going to be an audible voice. Typically, it's not going to be an angel showing up on your doorstep. Typically, the way we are aware of God's presence is through his word and through the assurance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. My question is, are you positioning yourself in such a way to experience God's presence in your life? Are you reading the Word? Are you studying God's Word? Are you meditating upon it? Are you hearing the Holy Spirit when He speaks to you? There should be great comfort knowing that He is present with us. The rest of the verse of 23 goes from there, and it says, not only did an angel stand before him, it says, it was an angel of the God to whom I belong. This angel was from the God to whom Paul belonged. And so the next anchor I want to point us to is the anchor of belonging. And what I mean by that is that Paul knew that he was not in charge of his life. Rather, he knew that he belonged to God. Paul knew that he was not on his own, but rather he was the property of God. That his identity was not found in himself, but his identity was found in the one to whom he belonged. Do you know what Paul typically called himself? If you look at the beginning of his epistles or his letters, typically he would say that he was Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, yes, but oftentimes he would say that he is Paul, a servant of Christ. In other words, he did not belong to himself, he belonged to Christ. Over and over and over through Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, we see God make this promise, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And so it's this picture of the fact that we belong to the God who is present around us. We belong to God like a child belongs to his father. Now, I know that in this room, we don't have any perfect fathers, but hopefully we have some pretty decent fathers that do their best. And the reality is this, that as a human father who isn't perfect, we take care of our children and just as our children know that they are safe in our hands, how much more so are we safe in the hands of a perfectly, perfect heavenly Father? So the reason that I can take hope is because God is present with me and because I know that I belong to Him. Now, what does it mean to belong to God? What does it mean to be a child of God? In a, in a general sense, everyone in the world belongs to God because he created and made them in a general sense. But in a specific sense, those who belong to God are only those that have trusted in him for salvation. And so if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, he has bought you with his blood. He has paid the price. Therefore, he owns you. We are his property. And that's a good thing, not a scary thing, but a very good thing. And the reason I can take hope is because I am not my own. I've been bought with a price, and therefore God is taking care of me. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions as it relates to this anchor. 
this confidence that we belong to God if we place our faith and our trust in Him. And here are the questions. How might knowing that you belong to God bring you comfort in the storm? You're like, that's a good question, Alan. I would like for you to answer it. How is it that you can find comfort knowing that you belong to God as you face the storm of life? In what ways are you overlooking the fact that you belong to God? could be that some of us that have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, we live as if we don't belong to him, and we try to live our lives however we want to. And perhaps some of the storms we face in life, not all of them, but perhaps some of the storms we face in life is because we've gone out on our own, and we've abandoned God's plans, and we have experienced the consequences of our sin. It could be that the difficulty we're facing in life has nothing to do with our own doing, but we're still in the middle of it all, and I, I'm trying to solve it on my own instead of remembering that I belong to God and trust in Him. But I want us to see that there is a great hope found in the knowing that God is present with us and also that we belong to Him. Verse 23 goes on from there. Not only does Paul say he belongs to this God, but he says that this God is the one whom he worships. So the next anchor I want to point us to is the anchor of worship. Now when you look up the word worship in the Greek in this text, uh, my uh, English is not always the best and definitely not my Greek, but the word for uh, worship here is latruo, latruo. And the word there is not just worshiping God, but serving God. It's an act of worship. It's like the priests would do when they would go and serve the Lord as an act of worship and serve Him accordingly. And so what we're not saying here is that the anchor in the middle of our storm is simply singing worship songs to God. Rather, we're saying it's a full-on active participatory worship with all that we have seeking to serve and follow and honor and obey God. This is what the anchor of worship looks like. For Paul, he doesn't back down from worshiping God in this moment. For Paul, he doesn't go, it's been nice serving you, God, but I've had one too many shipwrecks, I'm not going to have a fourth one, and I'm out of here, God. No, he worships and serves God in the middle of all of his hardships and struggles and problems, and he says to those that are listening to him that they can worship God as well. You see, Paul sought to worship God and to serve him constantly in the easy and the hard times. Think about all the times that Paul was arrested. Think about all the times that Paul was paraded in front of some kind of official, whether it be the religious officials or whether it be a, 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 a Gentile official, and how he didn't back down, but in every scenario he stepped up to the plate, making sure I don't fall off the stage, and he preached the gospel and pointed to the hope that's found in Christ because nothing and no one and no situation would keep him from worshiping and serving the God to whom he belonged. My question for you is, are you willing to do the same? Worshiping God in the middle of the worst situation puts everything else in proper perspective you see we worship god for who he is and not because of our circumstances we worship god because of who he is and not because of our circumstances that's what it means to have our anchors rooted in worshiping god all too often when the hardship hits us 
we have two reactions. Run from God and run from his church. You're like, dude, I'm not running from the church. I'm just not going to church when I feel crummy. Well, that, in a sense, is running from the church, right? If you don't feel like, and I'm not talking about whether you're sick or not. Like, if you're sick and have a fever, please don't come up in here and give it to all the rest of us. But if you're not feeling like being in the presence of God or being with God's people, I'm not critiquing you. I'm just saying, I'm not criticizing you, I should say. I'm just saying you're missing out on the very instrument that God wants to use in your life by putting yourself in the presence of other believers so that they can pray for and encourage you and lift you up and support you. When do we need each other? Not just when everything's running smoothly. We need each other also in the hard times and difficult times. That's right, every day, every moment. Don't run from God and his people. But when the hardship hits, anchor in the worship of God and understand, as we talked about in my class this morning again, that the church comes together to worship together because we not only belong to God, we belong to each other as well. And so to worship God and to serve him means we need each other. And so when times are hard, be with God's people. I'm reminded of a couple of uh, people in the Old Testament that when things were hard, they worship God nonetheless. I think of King David. His child is dying, and he's pleading with God that his child would live, and as soon as he got word that his child had passed away, he got up off the ground and began to worship God because he knew that everything was okay because God was with him. When I look at the life of Job, I see Job facing all kinds of hardship, issues with his health, issues with his family, death of his family, death of his animals, and in Job, I keep saying the wrong words, like Howard had the hard words and did decent with them, and I've got the easy words and I'm butchering them. Job chapter 1 verse 21, here's what Job says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Guys, we must anchor ourselves in the God who is present with us, the God in whom we, to whom we belong, and therefore we should worship him, glorify him, serve him, come what may. We worship him for who he is, not for our circumstances. So here are my questions for you in this section. How might worshiping God bring you comfort in the storm? You see a repetitive first question. The truth that God is, is to be worshipped in the middle of our storm, how does that bring comfort? And when hardship comes, do you find yourself worshiping God? Or do you find yourself running from God and from his people? If your tendency is to run from God and his people, when the hard times come, ask him to do his work in you so that you can stop that, so you can worship him regardless of what comes and worship with his people. I want to finish this morning by looking at verse 25. I know I didn't, re I didn't preach every text, every verse in this text, but it's 43 verses long, and we see the story happens where they're facing the difficulty, the hope is all gone, Paul steps up and says, no, for real, guys, hope isn't gone because God is with us and we'll be okay, and we need to anchor ourselves in him. And even as they do that, they still face hardship, and the boat runs aground. But what do we see? All 276 of them live because God is with them. So I want us to look at verse 25. 
verse 25, Paul makes the plea with them that everything's going to be okay, to not be afraid, to take heart, to take courage. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul started by saying, guys, you didn't listen to me before. I told you we were going to have issues and you didn't listen. And this time you need to hear what I'm saying. And I love the fact in verse 25 that Paul does not say, so take heart, men, for I have faith that everything I told you will happen exactly like I told you because I'm right and you're wrong. No, he says I have faith or confidence in God that it will be exactly as I have been told because he is the one who told me the news. So the anchor that we have here is an anchor of faith. This is the underlying anchor that holds the rest together. I'm not going to trust the God who is present. I'm not going to trust the God to whom I belong. I'm not even going to belong to him without faith, right? I'm not going to experience these things without faith. And so the underlying foundation aspect is God and our response to him. And Paul says our response to him should be faith. Because of who God is. Paul knew that it would happen exactly as God planned, and it did. All 276 of them lived, and the reason they lived is because of God, not because of Paul. The reason they lived was because of God, not because of Julius. The reason they lived was because of God, not because of luck and fortune. The reason they lived was not because most of them could swim and get to shore and the rest had a plank to go on and it went the right direction. No, the reason they were saved is because it went down like God said it would because of who God is. You see, God is sovereign. God is in charge. God keeps his promises. God is our provider. Made me think of a song that we sometimes sing, and you can brace yourselves, I'm not going to sing, okay? But it's a song we've sung recently, we sang it a lot this summer at our mission trip in Guatemala, it's called Firm Foundation, and a portion of the song goes this way, I've still got joy in chaos, I've got peace that makes no sense, I won't be going under, I'm not held by my own strength, because I've built my life on Jesus, he's never let me down, he's faithful through every season, so why would he fail now? The reason that we can have confidence is not because of who we are, but because of who he is. The reason we can have faith is not because of who I am, but because of who he is. The reason we can have faith is because he is faithful. He is faithful. We can always have faith in Jesus because he's always faithful. We can trust Jesus because he's always trustworthy. Here's a couple of questions for you in this section. Where's your faith placed? Is your faith placed in your own ingenuity, your own craftiness, and your own ability to survive, in your own uh, whatever? Or is your faith placed in God? Will you trust in God? For those of you who have trusted in Jesus, for those of you that have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus and he is your Lord and Savior, continue to trust him in the here and now. The one who brings you salvation, the one who is bringing a resurrection where you'll be in the presence of God forever, he is with you now as well. Continue to trust in him. 
For those of you that have not yet trusted in Jesus, do so today. Scripture is clear. Scripture is clear in the sense that we have been created by God to bring Him glory and honor. We have been created by God to bring Him worship and glory and praise that, that He deserves our very best. But the reality is our very best is very little. Like, because the reason is, is because we have sinned against God. Sin is disobedience to God. You and I, without exception, 100% of us are sinners. We have sinned and we have fallen short of God's expectations. His expectations are perfection. And I don't care how good a person you are, I don't care how loud you cheer for the Cowboys, you are less than perfect. You're like, what's the Cowboys thing? Stick around a while, you'll hear me talk about them occasionally. The reality is whatever you place your faith and your trust in, whether you think your own accolades are good enough, whether you think my granddaddy prayed for me enough, I, I went to church enough as a kid, all of it falls short. The only way that you and I can be made right with a holy, perfect, pure God is not by our works, but by His. The only way that we can come to right relationship with God is, as Paul tells us in another place, is that we can be saved by grace through faith, not of anything that we do ourselves. So what is it that we place our faith in? You're like, okay, I, I, I believe there's a dude by the name of Jesus. Is that what we're talking about? Yes and no. Like, that's a good starting point. But the faith that we place in Jesus is this. I know that I'm a sinner and that I can do nothing to be made right with God. But praise God, he sent his son Jesus to walk this earth, to live a perfect life that did not deserve death, and yet he died in my place as a substitute and as a sacrifice, and he was crucified on the cross, not for his sin, but for mine. Not for his sin, but for yours. And the good news is he didn't just go to a grave and sit there for the rest of eternity. No, three days later he was raised again, overcoming sin and death and the grave and Satan. And the reality is this, the only way that you can be saved and rescued, not just from the issue in your life right now, but the only way you can be saved from yourself, which is a, a life of rebellion and disobedience to God and an eternity separated from him forever, is by having faith in Jesus Christ. So to have faith in God means I can't do it, Jesus already has. You see, God controls the winds and the waves. Whatever he allows to come our way, his grace is sufficient. Let me just say that again. God controls the winds and the waves. And whatever it is that he allows to come our way, his grace is sufficient. You're like, but Alan, I didn't like the hand I was dealt. I get that, I understand that, I'm not making light of it, but I am pointing to the truth of who God is. He gives you his grace that is sufficient to face whatever it is you're going through. But the only way that we realize that and experience that is if we place our faith in him. Are you in a storm right now? 
I'm not claiming to have a word from the Lord, just mathematically, proportionally speaking, is true. You're either in a storm right now, or you've just come out of one, or be ready because one's coming your way. We all face difficulty in life. But whatever may come our way, we don't lose all hope. Because hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So ground yourself in the anchor of Christ, and he will help you to stand strong and firm in the middle of whatever you're facing. Just a second, I'm going to pre- uh, pray for us. I just did preach, but I'm going to pray for us. And after we pray, there'll be a couple of songs for us to respond in. During the second one, some offering plates will be passed. You can drop your offering there if you brought an offering. You can drop your connection card there, your prayer request card there if you'd like to. But during either song, if you want to respond and pray there at your seat or pray here at the altar or grab somebody to come and pray with you or come and pray with me, it's available because we want to say yes to God. If you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, would today be that day? And if you're struggling because of what life is throwing your way, would you make a recommitment to stand firm on the anchor of Jesus Christ and trust him whatever life may throw you? Just as Paul says, just as Paul says in verse 25, take heart, for we have faith in God that it will be exactly as he has told us it will be. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you now thanking you for a chance to come together as a church family and to worship you. God, we've been reminded of the truth of your word that you are present with us. That you are with us and that if we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, we belong to you. And that because of those truths that we can worship you regardless of what comes our way and ultimately god that we can have our anchor secure in our faith in you god i pray that you'd be with us this morning and you'd help us to respond as you're leading father i pray for anyone who has never trusted in jesus for salvation that today would be that day that those individuals will not leave this room, <coughs> this room without trusting in him for salvation. That, God, we would understand that we don't need to be rescued just from the, the obstacle or the storm that we're currently facing. We need deliverance from our sins. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to trust in Jesus for salvation. And then out of that, that we would trust you in whatever it is that we're facing in life. God, may you be glorified in this place, and may we respond as you lead us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.